We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about a win over the New York Knicks today, 117-112. Nets just keep on winning. How are we feeling? 13-14. Yeah, 13-14. It Just like, honestly, these games, it feels like even when they don't play well, they're going to win. But we're going to jump to this one. As always, though, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, where do you want to start with this one? I think we start with the end, Nick, with yep. the Julius Randle travel. Now, there was plenty of conjecture over this. We're not big fans of Scott Foster anyway. He explained it. We saw plenty of people have their own opinions, including players, including Kyrie Irving himself. He thought he made a good play um, and didn't necessarily think it was a travel. But what were your thoughts on the Julius Randle travel? Was it a travel? Was it a no travel? What were your thoughts? You know, I think it's one of those 50-50 calls. Like, you've seen it multiple times be like, hey, they'll call it a jump ball. They did in this game. But I think also at the point in which Kyrie made contact with the ball, Julius Randle still had two feet on the ground. And it didn't really feel like he got a full hand on it. It was almost more so fingertips. So I understand not calling it, you know, a dislodged ball and just calling it a travel in that situation. If I was a Knicks fan, I understand being upset, but it's not like this is the worst call we ever seen. It's not like Kyrie Irving, you know, punched Julius Randle in the stomach and they didn't call a foul. It was a 50-50 call that didn't break their way. And honestly, I felt like they got a couple late in that fourth quarter that did break their way. So you can complain about one call. Obviously, anybody could do that, but typically you don't lose the game on one play. No, definitely not. And there were play like there was the Joe Harris overturn call, which yep. you know I thought it was, was a I weird mean, overturn. Like I think that it was a jump ball, but I don't think it was enough to overturn it. 
Yeah, it seems to me that you know it has to be blatantly clear. You know, yep. that, and for me, it wasn't necessarily blatantly clear. I think there were like hands everywhere, and um, uh, uh, look, they weren't your Harris. Yeah, look, <laughs> Joe, and look, yeah, and look, Joe Harris needs to be better in in those late game situations in a lot of respects because you know he's having some some trouble uh, ever since the Washington Wizards game. But back to the sort of Julius Randle thing. My opinion, Nick, is uh, again, I in the spirit of the game, you probably let that keep going. But by the letter of the law, it is it is a travel yep. because it wasn't Julius Randle didn't lose quote unquote control of the ball. Kyrie Irving only sort of slightly moves the ball a little bit. You know, I've got it on right now as I'm watching it. And then Julius Randle technically remains controlled with the ball in his hand. So by dribbling it again and kicking over a couple of things here and there and Kyrie Irving waving goodbye and Bobby Schmurder and Michael B. Jordan being in the in the building. It's a fun night, and I will say something and might uh, pee off a, a couple of Nets fans here or there, but I like I like this one. I like the Knicks being good. The Nets played absolutely poor basketball, especially in that last half. I'm going to put a stat out a couple of hours ago. The Nets had 139 offensive rating in the first half and then 100 offensive rating in the second half. They, were, they just, I think Steve Nash put it best, they relied too much on their own offense and got away from their defensive principles and, you know, the hustle and the grit and the sort of parts of their identity that sort of feed their offensive identity at the same time. Yeah, and I thought the Knicks did a better job defensively, made a couple adjustments in that game too. So, you know, credit to them. But like you said, the Nets need to be better. You know, 100 offensive rating with this town. Obviously, Kevin Durant is still out, but you have a ton of different players out there that can produce. You know, I think there has to be other opportunities. I think also, I think coaching-wise, you know, Tom Thibodeau did a great job in this game. Thought maybe a little bit of an edge over Steve Nash, especially in that fourth quarter. I felt like they did a really good job taking advantage of DeAndre Jordan being in the game in the fourth quarter. R.J. Barrett was able to attack that drop coverage, and it just felt like they felt comfortable attacking D.J. DeAndre Jordan was horrible, Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, this might be the turning point game where it's just like, man, we got to play Clax now. Whether it's yeah. we finally give him those 20 minutes plus because DeAndre Jordan was pretty abhorrent. And James Harden was letting him know, which I, I continue to love, holding him accountable, showing that leadership, showing those standards. Because what he is doing, and, and tonight, you know, he wasn't good enough you know, heading out of the drop coverage and, and trying to switch out because he was just a step back. He was sort of just that in-between laziness. And when and when Randall or Barrett, he kept letting Barrett go to his left, yeah. he Randall go to his left. And it's just like, these guys are left-handers. They like to go there. Like, there's an easy scouting report on them. You don't even, even know have to know the scouting report to know that these guys are two really talented left-handed basketball players. And he just made it easy for them. It's just like he contested for the sake of contesting. He didn't truly contest and play defense. And yeah, he got a million lobs from James Harden, but I could get a million lobs from James Harden <laughs> if I had the hops and uh, physicality and athleticism that DeAndre Jordan has. His defense was putrid. One of the worst games with DeAndre uh, in a little while, Nick. Yeah, no, Jack, they really exploited that drop coverage, like you said. It's R.J. Barrett understood that, hey, he's so high and he's not getting low that if I just keep my dribble alive, I'm going to get the glass. And that's like literally he did the same thing. It felt like three times in a row in the fourth quarter and then quickly was getting DeAndre pissed off. And that's when you saw James Harden talking to him a little bit is like, 
he was baiting him for a foul and DJ would just had his hand on his hip. And it's just so easy for a guard to just kind of do a James Harden move and kind of stick your hand in there and get the call. And it's just like some of the things just don't make sense. And it's weird that Nash didn't elect to go to Claxton in this game. It's just like, he doesn't, I feel like have that trust yet to play him the closing lineup, but he was good in this one. Like he just provided a different element for this team. And he, he gives you the length without sacrificing the mobility. No, and whether it's he doesn't believe in his conditioning yet, and maybe that's 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 the only thing I can think of, Nick. Because right now, the way Nicholas Claxton is playing, he's playing better basketball than DeAndre Jordan. Yep. He's playing, maybe you can make an argument that DeAndre Jordan is a better offensive player because he is a, a really, really good screener. He, we use him a lot in elbow action. Um, he is also just a, a really great lob threat and a good pick and roll threat with James Harden and Kyrie Irving. So I can get that. I would probably maybe give the slight edge to to him there because one thing Claxton needs to get better at is the physicality on his screens. And that's something that Jared Allen really improved at in yep. his time as a Brooklyn net. So I think that he can get there. But right now he's slipping a little bit too much. Um, and I think he needs to, you know, make the, the guard or the wing or whoever's guarding James Harden or Kyrie Irving earn it. So that's and one he's getting tapped too by a lot of like guards are kind of slowing down his rolls to the rim or his dives to the rim, Jack, just because he's so slim. And like if it's DJ, like if a guard's trying to put a form on you, like he's running through that. Claxton, obviously he's not doing that. Funnily enough, he did run through one of them tonight, yep. Nick, with an absolutely insane alley-oop. That, yep. that was, you know, DJ Lob City, um, Clippers era. That was like, I'm like, how high does he get? You literally see, like, the length of his arm grabbing that oop. That was absolutely incredible. And he ran through a Knicks player to get it. So he showed aggression. Um, and I, I never doubt his aggression. It's just always, you know, his body and, and him filling out, like we uh, have talked about in Jared Allen in the years past. But, man... That was a highlight of the night, especially from Claxton. You know, his defense was was also awesome, but man, that dunk was crazy. Yeah, it really was. I mean, he really pops. And I think offensively, like you said, DJ provides, you know, better screening. I think he's a more comfortable passer, but there are elements that Claxton has that DJ doesn't have, like some of the drives to the rim and like finishing inside. Like it actually doesn't have to be a layup at zero feet. It can be, you know, a couple feet out. He can put the ball on the ground. He looks comfortable out there. So just kind of continuing his growth. But like you said, I mean, do you think performances like this from DeAndre Jordan, Jack, just make the Nets a little bit more urgent in terms of trying to trade for a JaVel McGee or hope? a little bit more for that Andre Drummond buyout? Yeah, look, we, we saw those reports from Chris Haynes, Shamsarania. I think it's it's inevitable that the Nets get one of those guys, Nick. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure which one it is. Um, <laughs> whichever one gets bought out first, you know, I thought I'm sure the, the Nets will pounce on. There seems to be a greater desire to acquire Andre Drummond because, you know, he really gives us a, a rebounding edge. In, 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 Another in element. A and a real, an absolutely dimension there that would absolutely give us a, a strength there, which has often been a weakness of ours. And then JaVale McGee gives you a steadiness that he's provided to so many teams ever since his Golden State days. So I think either of those guys would be an upgrade over DeAndre Jordan. I think both of those guys, look, maybe not better players. I think the, the fact that we're arguing about players that play like 10 minutes a night compared to DeAndre Jordan, who's given all the opportunities in the world to prove himself... It seems to me that you would just rather have the bodies, Nick, at the, at the end of the day. Let guys go out there. DJ, you got to prove yourself. If you're not playing well enough, you're out of the rotation because Clax is playing well in his limited time. And I don't think DJ can give you spurts of time. He needs to get like his, his rhythm um, and he needs to have that consistency. And you know, he needs to, have, he needs to have 25 minutes plus to be an effective player. Uh, I think if he gets 18 minutes and you compare the 18 minutes to Nicholas Claxton, it's going to be a world of difference. 
Yeah, I think also it gives him an opportunity to rest DeAndre Jordan, who, you know, at times we thought last year looked a little bit washed, felt better during the second half of the season. But you could make an argument that maybe he's a little fatigued. You know what I mean? With all these games kind of building up. But like you said, I'd love to get another center, obviously, just because Claxton obviously has dealt with injury history. You want to have another body if you get into a series with Joel Embiid and also just gives him another element. It'll be interesting to see what happens, though, when Kevin Durant is back, if we see more, more small ball or if the Nets are kind of leaning into playing, you know, more typical big style of basketball. Yeah, I mean, the Kevin Durant injury, there was another update on that as well, Nick. We'll, we'll focus on this game. I think we'll go in between back. Well, Jack, forth. I want to touch on something you mentioned. You know, a weakness of this team, rebounding, and it was a weakness tonight. The Knicks killed it on the offensive boards. Yeah, I, I think that's something that the Nets... Uh, it, if the Nets aren't rebounding the ball well, they're generally not playing well. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple thing. 13-3 to three on the offensive glass, which is a massive discrepancy. Yep. But the defensive boards is where the Nets were better. They did take care of their, their own down there. 38 to 27. So if it wasn't for the offensive boards, then the Nets probably get that battle. And, and if they at least have it, you know, 13 to 6, you know, they, they get the ascendancy there. But that's where you can't let a team that predicates a lot of its identity and offensive identity with hustle and offensive boards, second chance points, these sort of things. You can't let them get that because it's only going to feed into their own. So, and credit to, to guys like Julius Randle and, and some of these really, you know, Nerlens Noel, those sort of dudes in really giving the team that energy that they need. So, but the Nets need to be better on the glass, boxing out, showing the physicality down there, showing a sense of urgency. Seems to me that James Harden's the best rebounder on this team right now. Yeah, I mean, he really is a good rebounder. You actually see him box out sometimes, too. DeAndre's kind of hit or miss. We see the guards kind of get in there. I think Jeff Green does a solid job. Claxton's improving. Obviously, KD would be a nice player to have right now. But like you said, Jack, 13-3. to And it also kind of leads to the Knicks having 16 more field goal attempts in this game. The Knicks had 92. The Nets only had 76. Some of that goes to the turnover battle, too. But like you said, the Nets are the, were the more talented team, and that was pretty obvious in this game, especially look at the efficiency numbers shooting-wise. It's just like they allowed the Knicks to have an opportunity to get back in this game by making those grit-and-grind type plays and just kind of just continue to itch their way back in, and they almost stole it. Yeah, holding you know the, the Knicks to just over 40% from the field, solid. Just over 35% from three, relatively solid. They took 13 more three-point shots as well. So I think that's probably a reason a lot for why them too. You know, 45 points from three. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
pointers compared to the Nets, 36, who were much more efficient from there, uh, over 41%. They also got a couple more free throws, and their free throw percentage in that respect was also better, despite the fact that, you know, we got Kyrie Irving, who was, you know, a, a little bit odd in, in missing some of his, but that happens uh, every now and then. You just have a bit of an off night uh, from the free throw line. So, yeah, I think, Nick, it's, it's pretty crazy because we have mentioned this before that, you know, the Nets will just be so damn godly efficient from the field. And they were nearly 58% from the field on their 76 shots. That is the only reason they won this game because yep. of their first half. And maybe you can count parts of the third quarter offense because what happened in the final period, you know, 21 points to 28, they got lucky. And I think that in some of those respects, Nick, we sort of argue, uh, we've sort of debated about Kyrie Irving's you know, lack, um, lack of awareness in, in offensive situations and stuff. I don't think he got enough of the ball in the last period. Yeah. No, I agree because he was fire in this game. We were talking about efficiency and 57% from the field. Like you said, Jack, Kyrie was 13 to 18 and he was hitting ridiculous shots, especially when Frank Nielakina fouled out. That was the only guy that really had did a good job of kind of slowing Kyrie down and making him work. But it felt like he was cooking Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett, Reggie Bullock. It was like it maybe got almost a little bit too James Harden centric, but it's hard to say because James Harden has been so good with the net so far this season. But again, you kind of try to ride that hot guy. Credit to the Knicks, though, again, like I mentioned before. Like, I thought defensively they kind of locked in a little bit more. They made things tougher for the Nets. They had a lot of great rotations. Just showing, like, those effort plays defensively that you just don't typically see from, you know, 500 teams. That's it. That's it, Nick. And and, and I think that the Knicks are an up-and-coming team, whether they hang around the playoffs or not. You know, if it's a playoff series between us, it'll certainly be a, a fun time on Twitter for, for however many games that, that does happen to last. But... Yeah, I thought James Harden's his, his offensive woes relate to mainly just his shooting, Nick, because he's yep. been something like one of nineteen uh, on, on that realm in the in the three games since the All Star break, and you know he's been really really good at attacking off the closeout, and a lot of that is because Kyrie has been drawing such a, a yep. great level of attention, and James Harden is an incredible driver, and and he's got an, an awesome floater game. Great strength to, to finish around the rim. And he's an in, maybe the best lob passer that we have in the league right now. So maybe there needs to be a change in, in sort of the offensive, you know, sets and identity. And Kyrie Irving brings the ball up a little bit. And we still see James Harden play a little bit off the ball more, despite the fact that we know the point guard and the shooting guard situation. I, I think that there is a flexibility there. And I think both of them are showing that because... You know, in seasons past, Kyrie Irving would have been, he's like, I need to take these shots. And in an early part of the season, he's taken more shots than Kevin Durant. And we're like, oh, should he be doing that? And some nights it's like, yep, he's, he's got like eight of 10 in the in the last quarter. And then other nights it's like Kevin Durant has two shots in the last quarter. Yep. So I think that there is a, a growing balance and, and awareness from this team. But I think for one of the few times this season, Nick, Kyrie Irving needed the ball more. He was hot as hell and the Nets best player. Yeah, I thought, I know, I think Kyrie's probably been the Nets' best player the second half of the season so far in this, you know, short chunk of games that we've played. He's just been really locked in, hitting a lot of tough shots and, you know, killing guys off the dribble, just creating space. And it just feels like he has a couple spots on the floor that are just straight money. You know, if you see him attempt a shot there, defender, contested, two, double team, doesn't really matter. It's just going to go down. I mean, his game is just incredibly fun to watch. But, you know, we'll talk James Harden. Credit to can him. I just and, give some, oh, yeah. Can I, like, just bring up some of those those highlights, Nick? The sauce tonight from Kyrie Irving was next level. It was hot sauce times 100. You know, your mouth is burning watching some of this stuff. You know, Emmanuel quickly played really, really good defense on Kyrie Irving on one of those plays. But... His handle was just out of this world. And I was having a bit of a debate with my brother when I showed him the highlights. He's like, nah, Steph's better. And I'm like, 
Look, I, I, that's a totally subjective thing. But one thing I'll say about Kyrie Irving is he just has a smoothness and just control to his game that I think Steph has to an extent, but it's different. It just seems effortless when Kyrie Irving does this sort of thing, whereas you can sort of see Steph is like thinking about these moves, whereas Kyrie is just like, sort of like I've got all these things in the back of my head. I'm just letting it flow out there. I'm improvising. And that play on Emmanuel quickly was absolutely crazy. His ability to stop up on a, stop on a dime as well it's he is an incredible offensive player and one of the best individual offensive players maybe we've ever seen. He is just it's incredible what he can do with the ball in his hands. Yeah, I'd make an argument that maybe he's the most frustrating def, you know guy to defend in the NBA because, like you said, quickly was playing great defense. There's a lot of times you play great defense on Kyrie Irving and it literally has no impact. It's almost like you're not there. It's like he's shooting in an open gym. It's incredible to watch. It just, you know, just try to enjoy his game every single night. And obviously, I think he had a little extra juice for this game, knowing it's the Knicks. And obviously, growing up as a New Jersey Nets fan, he knows, you know, the little bit of juice between these teams. Yeah, I thought that, and look, we heard James Harden say that, you know, he could hear, hear the Knicks fans there. The Knicks fans got all over that. Kyrie Irving sort of... Um, it's like, oh my waiting. God, Jack, you can hear somebody in an arena that only has a couple hundred people? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> and shout out to the Brooklyn Brigade, actually, funnily enough, because people were misconstruing that final Brooklyn chant to yeah, be yeah. something else. And God, uh, plenty of fans and worldwide Wob continues to be a salty 45-year-old dude getting up <laughs> in his feelings. Give Junie Buss slide no DMs, dude, if you want to have some fun later on. Um, that I guess just... while we're here, Jack, I just want to touch on that. Like, I think it's so funny that, like, the concept thing is like, oh, my God, the Nets have no fans. Like, oh, I, they're 500 fans or 200 fans or 87 fans. It's just like, yo, if you guys are constantly posting this, that means that there's more fans and you're trying to aggravate somebody. And not to mention, what were the Nets just number two in merchandise sales? And they have three players and top number one. In- yeah, number sure. one and three in top 15 in jersey sales. It's just like they're not irrelevant. Like the Knicks are only relevant because they've been a laughing stock for the last 10 years. Like they're not the Lakers. They're not the Celtics. We're not talking about them because they've won a ton of championships. They're not that team. And it feels like they act like they're so entitled when the Nets have done nothing but win more games than them. Yeah, look, and I... I... I dislike the toxicity of any fan base. And yeah. I got a little bit toxic last night posting some SpongeBob clips and trying <laughs> to you know, really rile it up. And, you know, upon reflection, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but it's what it's, it's supposed to be a bit of fun. Julius Randle was disrespecting chairs in Barclay Center. Uh, yeah, <laughs> leave those chairs alone. Um, <laughs> what do they do to him? But, yeah, I, I think in saying that, Nick, the, the Nets are the most relevant franchise in the NBA right now. And that hasn't been the case. And, you know, they are a prototype of what you can do to turn it around. And the Knicks certainly are doing that in their own realm. Maybe they get a free agent in the offseason. But we also heard just like 12 to 18 months ago, Kevin Durant, you know, absolutely shitting on their franchise. They're not cool. I don't want to go there. F no, hell no. So look, and Kyrie Irving choosing to, to go to the Nets as well, despite everything that the Knicks have done. James Dolan choosing not to offer Kevin Durant a max contract which is just, uh, look, uh, we can get into plenty of things about the Knicks franchise themselves. They've got some cool fans out there, and some of them are great writers at OTTBasketball.com. But look, 
Let's just embrace this a little bit, Nick, because New York basketball is is fun again. And, you know, it might be, you know, when you have your two biggest markets in L.A. and New York really on the map, that makes for a better viewing experience. It makes for a better league. And hopefully the Knicks, the Knicks continue to do the right things and the Nets can, you know, maybe win a chip as, along the way, hopefully win a chip along the way. And it's only going to increase the rivalry and desire for competitive New York basketball. Yeah, and maybe the NBA will make back some of that money they lost during the pandemic if both you know markets are really popping. But like you said, it's great for these games to actually be with you know like competent NBA teams. Like we've seen these teams play over the last five years, and you know on both sides we've seen terrible basketball. So like you said, it's always positive. Things are kind of trending in the right direction. It's always better too when the Nets are on top. Absolutely, it's always better when the Nets are on top. I, I put my one of my favorite Nets Knicks moments was that Karis Avert flex after you know knocking it over Tim Hardaway Jr. and then hearing Kyrie Irving talk about Karis Avert post game Nick, my heart just like flooded, exploded. It did all the things, and him saying like you know he's like you know my family loves him as well. I'm just like oh Kai man, what are you doing to me? Yeah, and obviously we'll see him face off against the Nets on Wednesday against you know the Nets and Pacers have a matchup that should be fun but Jack I guess let's talk a little James Harden we kind of mentioned step back three has been off obviously that's a big part of his game six of 15 from the field still had 21 points nine and nine from the free throw line but 15 rebounds and 15 assists like talk about impacting the game in other ways when your shot's not falling first net in Brooklyn Nets history to have the 15-15-15 game and it seems to me that no matter what James Harden does, he doesn't let the offense be dictated by his, you know, his offense, his shot, his shot being on or off. And if his shot comes back, and when it does come back, because, you know, we sort of talked about at the start of his Brooklyn Nets tenure that the three ball wasn't there. You know, he's like three of 10 or two of 12. And, you know, he's 0-5 against tonight. He's been one of 19 in his past three matchups since the All-Star break. But 9-9 from the free throw line, those assist numbers. He is one of the most impactful offensive players in the game right now. And, you know, whenever we see anyone trying to post him up as well, you know, Julius Randle's like, yeah, I got this dude in the post. And it's just like, swipe, 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 swipe. Just like, you you should have you should have the off the, the opposing scouting report on James Harden. Don't post that dude up because he is going to, you know, get his hands in there. He's going to make it tough for you. He's strong as hell. Mentioned that on the last pod. Just take him off the dribble. It's just so much easier. He doesn't have the lateral quickness, but he continues to impact the game, Nick. You know, I think his turnovers are a little bit here or there, something to worry about. Another seven for him tonight, but uh, he continues to be an incredibly important part, and he's leading the, the Nets. I don't know whether it's tiredness, whether it's just a lack of engagement, but the shot, I, I'm, are you confident that it'll come back? Yeah, he had these stretches in Houston. Like, it, it would happen for stretches, and they'd usually lose all the games when which it happened. But he just goes through cold streaks with that step back. It's a tough shot. You know what I mean? It's not an easy shot. It's really difficult. And the fact that he's able to hit it at such a high rate during the, earlier this year, you know, I think he'll be able to get back to that. And I thought, you know, the post defense on Julius Randle was good, but I thought Randle was able to kind of take advantage of him not having the height in a couple situations because we mentioned how strong Harden is. Julius Randle's probably just as strong but he does have a couple inches over Harden. But the one thing, like you mentioned, he does a great job of swiping at the ball and it just makes the offensive player a little bit uncomfortable and that can be enough to throw off your shot. So credit James Harden fighting down there. And also I guess credit to Julius Randle because he's a guy that's really improved his game and he's substantially better than I ever thought he was going to be. No, he's, he's been playing some incredible basketball, most improved player candidate, no doubt about that. But 
Nick, we'll finish off, I guess, with the, the other two starters, Joe Harris and Jeff Green. What did you think of their performances tonight? Yeah, nice to see Jeff back there. He was looking like his normal self that we saw earlier in the season, spry out there. He did get a little bit, it looked like he maybe re-aggravated his shoulder injury with Julius Randle, I want to say third or fourth quarter in this game. Then he was a little bit more timid with a shot, but nice to see him two or two from three. I thought it was a good game, and he's not a lockdown defender, but I thought he did a solid job on Julius Randle in terms of what he's capable of doing. Yeah, I mean, he had like 14 points in the, in the first quarter and a bit. He was absolutely incredible. Vet minimum contract, might I mention, for those that points. might not be. Uh, absolutely awesome. 20 points, six boards, two assists, two blocks from Uncle Jeff. Continue to be an awesome performer. And he did mention that it is a lingering issue for him. So hopefully when Kevin Durant does arrive, it also allows Jeff Green to have a bit of rest. We yeah. don't have to play him 35 minutes. And you, know, you add in a, a JaVale McGee, and then maybe you, you take away some minutes from Jeff Green uh, a little bit more. Even too, Blake Griffin being back. Blake Griffin being back too. Hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. And, you know, we know that Blake Griffin will be doing some dunks, as he told Malik Andrews. That'll be fun to see. But, yeah, Jeff Green was, was great. You know, he's continuing to be just such an important part of this Nets team on both ends of the floor. You can certainly make an argument that he might be the most important outside of, you know, Kevin Durant, Curry, outside of the superstars. You know, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, and Claxton and all these other guys. You know, there's an argument for them too. But Jeff Green just gives this team so much on, in every facet of the game, being on the boards, being on the defensive end, being on, with that three ball, started getting that rhythm uh, going again. So uh, we can't say enough good things about Jeff Green. His importance to the Brooklyn Nets is immense. Yeah, that versatility is huge. And like you said, hopefully we get him some rest. I thought Joe Harris was, you know, okay in this game. Not a great Joe Harris game, not a bad Joe Harris game. You mentioned the late game situations. I thought a couple times he got... I don't want to say exposed defensively, but just some of that lack of, you know, athleticism kind of stuck out against some of the Knicks guards. But again, 13 points, 5-11 from the field, 3 of 8 from deep, 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal. And uh, he did have a nice step back mid-ranger in the fourth quarter. That was pretty crucial. That was, and the, the shot was expiring. And it's just like, uh, all right, you'd rather have the ball in Kyrie Irving or James Harden's hands here. But Joe's like, you know what? I'll take this one. And that was just so smooth. It was it, the the awareness and the ability to create just a little bit of space to get his yep. shot off. And he's a, he's such a fluid player offensively, and he's just got composure on all levels of the floor. And not the easiest of angles to hit the shot either, you know. The, the, on the side, elbow sort of uh, yep. range, uh, just a, a really, really crucial shot to keep the net with the, a little bit of breathing room at that point in the game. But yeah. I that is an, an element that Joe is being, I, I guess, not attacked for, but you know, there's a, a, a level of criticism I think is is due for for some of his late game misgivings and and lack of, I guess, IQ and awareness. Are you worried about that at all, Nick? You know, I see a lot of people call it about like a lack of IQ. I don't think it's lack of IQ. I think it's maybe just lack of you know specific skills. Like he's just not a great ball handler. Like he really never has been. You know what I mean? And typically in those situations, you have to handle the ball. You have to make a quick pass. Joe's a solid passer, but he's not elite by any standard. Part of me just like considers of maybe not having him on the floor in those situations. It's not like we're talking about an elite free throw shooter. It's like one of the weird areas that he struggles. So it's like. Maybe just move on from having Joe Harris in some of these like free throw esque lineups. I'm not saying not having him in closing lineups, but you know what I mean. Like when you're up five and you know the other team's going to foul and he struggles in these situations, Landry Shamit might be a better option because he's a little bit better ball handler. He has that point guard background, and I think he's a better free throw shooter too. I'm not sure what the exact rotation was because two players kept being on the opposite end of the court, so you typically only saw Kyrie, James Harden, Joe Harris on screen, and some of it was credit to. 
you know, the Knicks and Tom Thibodeau because the way they attacked on those plays, the Nets weren't prepared for it. And it's weird. It's because they got the first jump ball with James Harden. You think if they're going to run a play again, that Steve Nash would have had the team a little bit more prepared for that instant double or triple team. Yeah, I think it's it's things that he needs to learn from. And you learn from, you know, watching what other teams do in, in a lot of respects. You steal some of their plays. You, you get the awareness. But, yep. you know, I think he needs to be better in late game situations, as does the team. Because they're, they're getting, they show a, a level of, you know, overwhelming flusteredness at, at yep. times. Where it's just like, come on, guys, let's just chill. We know what we need to do here. Guys, like, you stop know. moving. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me that it's just like, all right, you guys, they deflect a bit too much here. It's yep. just like in in previous games, we've sort of been like, all right, James, James Harden will step up and be like, all right, I'm just going to hit this guy with the foul. And Kyrie Irving did say that, you know, if Julius Randle didn't uh, hit that shot, he would probably foul him straight away as well, which would have been a smart play too. So I think that our guys know enough. It's just that sometimes this situation can get a bit much. And ultimately, as long as these uh, these uh, mistakes are happening now and not in postseason situations, you'd rather get the the bad things out of your uh, out of your arsenal now than when it starts to really matter. And you know, Bruce Brown, I think Nick could have been better out there as well. But there was some some um, some worry about his hand. What were your thoughts? Did you see? Um, where sort of, you know, because he only played seven minutes, so it was three or three from the field, plus seven, also had three boards, six six points. Did, did you see where that sort of happened? I actually did not see much about the hand, Jack. I thought m- maybe it was more so just kind of the rotation for the night stylistically, electing to start Jeff Green and the way the Knicks play so help defense-oriented. The paint is very clogged, so I thought maybe it was just kind of more of, hey, you know, Bruce, we just don't really have the minutes for you tonight. That's fair. That's fair. And I mean, look, if you're looking at the rest of the rotation, it was relatively similar. You know, Landry Shamit wasn't as hot as he was, but was still a positive impact. You know, plus six, and, and we mentioned only hit the one shot, but again, was positive out there. Liked him out there uh, alongside Joe Harris. There were a couple of shots that were just in and out. And I'm like, those yeah. are good shots for, for Landry Shamit. They've, they've fallen the, the other night, and, you know, he's been 40% plus in his past sort of 15 games or so. So totally comfortable with how he's been playing. Tyler Johnson, again, the steady force that you want from him. No, nothing really else to say other than. I really know, like steady. Tyler Johnson. That's all I can say. I don't know. There's just something about watching him play. He's not the best basketball player, but as a fan, there's just something you enjoy watching those curls bounce around on the court. Yeah, I mean, look, for role plays that you want to have, if you're talking about some other teams that are probably around the same mark as the the Nets right now, the Sixers or the Bucks would love to have a guy like Tyler Johnson uh, as, a, as a backup, a guy that can just handle the ball, hit a three ball here or there. Was three really high good from play. three this year. Yep. I think of 41%, yep. they said. Yep, two or three tonight as well. And Nick, we did get TLC. TLC was back, but for two minutes. Yeah, and I saw one of his negative plays, and it was just such a TLC play. Obviously, some of that's just the rust, but it'll be interesting to see if TLC gets back in the rotation or if he's just kind of the outside looking in type of thing. Yeah, I got flamed. I I partly put it out because I knew I would get flamed because sometimes that's Twitter. You want to sort of just create a debate and and get likes and get interaction on a tweet. Not sure. In fact, I do kind of believe this to an extent. You know, I don't think TLC is as bad as everyone makes him out to be but he's certainly not good either. It's just that the amount of slander that he does receive, he's not that horrible of a player where we need to keep it in context that he is a fringe role player on a minimum contract who doesn't have a high basketball IQ. You know, you want him to hit some three balls here or there. You don't want him to dribble the ball too much and you want him to play some defense. You know, there's been times when he was in the rotation and we were like, yeah, TLC, we want this consistency. Yeah, TLC... And more recently, before that injury, 
Whereas in games previously, you know, going back to Memphis, OKC, those sort of games where it's just like, TLC, stop found three-point shooters, my dude. What are you doing here? Yeah. I think that there is a semblance of he's you're never as bad as what you thought to be. You're never as good as what you thought to be. The answer is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think the problem with TLC is that he's, his good moments aren't like eye-popping. It's like, oh, I'm going to hit an open three. I'm going to make a layup man transition. I'm going to make a nice cut to the rim and finish here. But it's his bad plays that stick out to the highest extent. You know what I mean? The fouling the three-point shooters. Uh, Three-on-one transitioning, throws the ball out of bounds and tries to go to the rim or something crazy. Or trying to do too much offensively when you're on the floor with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, or even Kevin Durant. And I think that stuff really sticks out. It's just like the stuff that he does does well, it's just not eye-popping. I'm not to, not to call it average. He just does it just like the normal basketball stuff. But again, sometimes you need that. It's just trying to get rid of a lot of the bad that he has or just limited. And he's just had trouble doing that this season. And it also sticks out is because there's so many great basketball players in this team. No disrespect to him. He's just not one of them. So you go to watching, you know, James Harden, a Kyrie Irving to a TLC, your expectations are going to be a little different, even yeah, to and, a great role player like Joe Harris and Jeff Green. And Bruce Brown as well. Yep. You know, those guys just know how to impact the game. And, and Tyler Johnson as well. There's just a, a self-awareness, Landry Shamit. And it seems to me that TLC needs to now go, okay, this is my role. I need to buy in. And, and he's done that over periods within this team. Now it's just like, okay, this isn't the bubble anymore. I'm not going to be getting 10 to 15 shots tonight. I'm not going to need to just score 20 points. I need, to, you know, I need to do what Tyler Johnson does. If I get five points plus and I'm positive in the box minors, you know, I'm hitting my three ball and I'm playing solid enough defense and being pesky and athletic because he does have those tools as a defender. You know, we saw him in the early points of the season be our go-to defender on Trey Young and such. So it's not to say that he is totally out of the, the rotation, but I think now that there is a, a, a lesser reliance on him, it's almost better for the Nets team overall. Maybe not for TLC individually, but I still think he's a decent body to have and to go to if there are injuries and if there are situations where it's just like, hmm. Because, you know, you look at the, our bench and, and tonight, TLC, Shamit, Bruce Brown, Tyler Johnson, uh, and Nicholas Claxton. TLC is the only semi-wing on that in that rotation, even though he yep. is basically a shooting guard. Exactly. So I think that's why you kind of keep him around as a guy that maybe we need him in certain situations. We need to add that size, somebody who can play competent defense sometimes. But uh, Jack, just kind of talking about the bench, and we've kind of alluded to this over the last couple of games, it's like becoming to a point where this bench is uh, an advantage for the Nets. And obviously some of that is they're run by Kyrie or James Harden in terms of the units, but these guys are understanding how to play with, you know, a Kyrie and a James Harden. It feels like every time the bench comes in, the Nets either take the lead or expand, uh, extend their lead. Yeah, all, because there's just a, there's a lot of talent on it, Nick. You, yeah. know, you, you look at Claxton, you look at Shami, you look at Bruce Brown, you look at Tyler Johnson. You know, Claxton could be starting for plenty of teams. Tyler Johnson could be a makeshift starter in, in certain points. Landry Shammer has started for playoff teams. Bruce Brown has started for playoff teams. TLC started for the Brooklyn Nets, even though obviously, you know, we know what TLC is and we and we had a big discussion just then. But it's it's almost like, you know, the, the start of the season all over again, where it's just like, man, the Nets depth is crazy. Have you seen yeah. how many guys they've got that could probably start? And it's just like we've sort of gone a, a 180 or 360. Sorry, we're back to that sort of same spot um, all over again. So I think that the, it's a it's a real luxury to have because you're going to add a Blake Griffin, you're going to add a Kevin Durant, and you're going to add someone in the buyout or, or, or trade You're going to add somebody from the starting lineup. Yeah, like you said, you're going to add the Kevin Durant. So either Joe Harris, Jeff Green, or DeAndre Jordan's coming to the bench. And now your unit's just getting that much stronger. Yeah, and I think it's not necessarily going to upset the balance overall because I think the bench guys, as well as the starters, 
are buying into and just know yeah. their role, know what they need to do to support and help this team win. Um, I think that the, the ability to establish their identity individually within this team, within the 40 games that we've had, um, has been something, a, a credit to all the individual players, the coaching staff, to be able to identify what they need to do and what each player needs to contribute to, to actually get the, the 27 wins that we have so far this season. And obviously we want the uh, two of our superstars, well, one of our superstars and one of our, uh, our, our buyer guys to come back sooner rather than later. And hopefully, you know, there's a, only a little bit over a week left till the buyout and trade deadlines um, will be uh, will be rapidly approaching too. So I think the Nets are going to continue to add to the depth in their rotation. And I think that, you know, to experiment with it for the next 32 games or so is going to be crucial because the Nets are going to need bodies and there could be injuries along the way. We've suffered plenty of them uh, along this season and previously. So I think that it's going to be a, a good problem to have for the coaching staff. Yeah, and like we've kind of alluded to a lot in the show and in previous shows, is it allows guys to get rest too. And I think that's going to be a big part of the second half of the season just because there are so many games and you want to make sure you're prepared for the postseason. Absolutely, Nick. Jack, anything else you want to touch on about this game or in the Nets in general? I think this game, Nick, was something that you know was a tale of two halves overall. As I sort of alluded to, I was just, I just wanted to sort of see what the numbers were, and you know the Nets were just so much better in the first half, and they just had a rhythm, they had control of the game, whereas a part, to me, I'm not sure how much it was the Knicks regaining control themselves, or it was the Nets almost giving them control yeah. back, as we sort of talked about with you know turnovers, board battles, and all those sort of things. You know, whenever you heard uh, you know sound bites from from Steve Nash on the bench, it was just like, let's rebound the ball well, let's keep handling the ball well, we're shooting well from the field, let's just not turn it over and such. And I think that's basically it. And and it's a it's the simple things that are a part of the Brooklyn Nets identity for such a talented team. They had a, a nice number of assists as well, almost thirty again, twenty nine for them. And you know the Knicks had to be individually great. They had, I think they're like sixteen or seventeen. So I think that the the Nets this isn't a, a win, one of maybe the uglier wins we've seen this season, but a win nonetheless. And good teams grind it out. But I think you take more from the the latter half of the game than you do from the first half of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think the first half you just saw their offense cook, and obviously a team like the Knicks can't compete with this level of offense. But like you said, in the second half, Jack, it was kind of a combination of the Knicks turning the gas up and the Nets turning the gas off. You know what I mean? They just didn't play with that same energy and effort. We talked about the rebound. We talked about the turnovers and allowing them to get so many more possessions and kind of grind out the game. It's like the Nets just went to this game in the second half with their talent, and they were like, oh, we don't actually have to play that hard. But the Knicks are the type of team that really don't beat themselves. Like they're going to make you earn wins. So credit to Tom Dibodeau, credit to the Knicks and playing hard and making the Nets have to grind this one out in that fourth quarter instead of honestly having a blowout because I felt like there was a point in that second quarter and that third quarter where this could have been a 25-point game. The Nets were up as many as 18, and I think that's going to be the next step for this team. We want to see them create blowouts, get these big victories, because then you're not even talking about resting guys for games off. You're resting them for the fourth quarter. Yeah, and that's what the the truly great teams yep. have done in in years past. You know, you look at the the Golden State Warriors and and the Cleveland Cavaliers in in their time with LeBron James. It just allows in game rest because you don't want to keep playing James Harden forty minutes plus because yep. he's the league leader in minutes. You don't want to keep overexerting a Jeff Green, a DeAndre Jordan, a, a Joe Harrison, and, and a Kyrie Irving for that matter too. Yep. So. I think the, there are ways that the Nets can get better despite the fact that they are one of the form teams of the NBA right now. You need to continue getting better and continue forming those habits. And I think that there is a level of awareness of this team that I'm sure they know that more than us.
Yeah, a hundred percent, Jack. It's crazy. The Nets, you can make an argument of the best team in the league right now, and there's still plenty of room for improvement. And some of that'll just come naturally with Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin coming in and possibly other players, but they have plenty of stuff they can clean up on their own because there were some communication issues in this game defensively mentioned some of the adjustments that needed to be done by Steve Nash that weren't, weren't there. So, and that's all stuff that can be corrected as we progress towards the postseason. So as much as there was negatives, I think it can be almost taken to a positive light to an extent. Yeah, it's a glass half full, glass half empty sort of situations. But speaking of Kevin Durant, Nick, we saw Sham Sarania report today that he will likely miss another one to two weeks of game action as he's recovering from that hamstring. Last time we saw KD play was on February 13th, so it could be a six to eight weeker rather than just a four weeker, as was alluded to initially. Uh, and this is from uh, Shams himself. The Nets are being cautious with the ramp up of All Star Kevin Durant, meaning he's likely to miss another one to two weeks. Sources said. Nets coach Steve Nash said Durant will have another skill on his injury this week. Durant has missed 14 total days this season due to quarantine for co- from contact tracing, COVID-19 exposure. Are you starting to get worried more, Nick, as the longer this sort of plays out, or is it just the same old sort of thing? And it's sort of like, yeah, I probably expected him to be out another one or two weeks because we haven't even got that scan back yet. Exactly. I think it's the same level in which we were when we got the news from Steve Nash because we obviously knew that after he got the scan, he wasn't going to jump back on the court they were going to probably make him go into some conditioning. Even look at Blake Griffin. Says he's 100% healthy, but the Nets are making him pretty much sit out two weeks to make sure it's up to their standard. So I think it'll be the same thing with Kevin Durant. And we've seen a ton of different reports from other you know, NBA writers and media that the Nets are just being ultra conservative because it's such a serious thing and knowing how catastrophic it could be if Kevin Durant were to suffer an injury not only for this season, but for the next year. So yeah, you you know you have this you know amazing basketball player. You want to make sure he's a one hundred percent before he goes back in the court, and we don't want any reaggravation. Yeah, I think there's just a, an eagerness and a wariness from from Nets fans overall. It's just like man, because ultimately, as great as Kyrie Irving and James Harden are playing, I, we're not going to win a championship without Kevin Durant. And, yeah. and maybe look, maybe we can because yeah. <laughs> you know I was thinking about that. <laughs> I, I, look, I don't know, Nick, because the James Harden and Kyrie have been playing so goddamn well by themselves and they're beating the best teams in the league without him. But I also do think that this isn't the fullest versions of all the other teams. I think the Sixers yeah. will add something. I think the Bucks can add something. I also think that the Lakers and the Clippers and all these yeah. sort of teams are only going to get better. Whereas the Nets, as they are, yes, they're going to get better if Kevin Durant comes back. Maybe better than any other addition, be it a Kyle Lowry, be it a John Collins, or whatever other player that might be out there, Aaron Gordon. The Nets have the biggest addition out of all those contending teams, but he does have to come back and he does have to be healthy. And look, I I get it. We sh- I should be used to it because you know this happened with in the Kenny Atkinson days with you yeah. know D'Lo, with Kyrie, with um, with Alan Crabb, with with whoever else it was on the roster, with Jared Allen, uh, with Carlos Levert. But I'm still I can't help but be you know pessimistic and and a little bit worrisome and, and anxious about it overall because. We know how good Kevin Durant is and we know his injury history. We know how serious the Achilles is and the surrounding muscles and the surrounding injuries that can occur from it. We see what's happening with Anthony Davis now. Um, and if the, I, I just want him to be healthy uh, ultimately and I'm sure I'm going to be proven wrong and I should have a, a bit more of a chill and semblance state. Maybe it's because it's the morning, Nick, and uh, uh, you know I get up in the fields in my morning a little bit more than when I'm doing the Arvo pods with you uh, my time. But I can't help but be at least a tad bit worried and anxious about it all. Yeah, I mean, obviously, anytime there's an injury and it's a guy who has suffered other major injuries, you want to make sure he's back on the court. But I think one thing that gives me a little confidence is like, this is also Kevin Durant. 
if it was a serious injury, we would know about it because like even as much as the Nets would want to hide it, it would eventually come out. You know what I mean? Like it's not something I think they'd be able to hide. Like he's that big of a player. And just based off the injuries and how they've dealt with things in the past, like they're going to be conservative and they have something that is an immensely rare and valuable in Kevin Durant. They're going to be extra conservative. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, they treated Alan Crabb a certain way, but like they're probably treating Kevin Durant even better than that. Not to say they treated Crabb wrong or anything like that, but just like, this is Kevin Durant. Kevin freaking Durant. You know who I am, Nick? <laughs> well, I'm Jack Manuel. Kevin Durant's my best friend. Funniest thing, funniest thing I got to admit in, from the salty, some salty Knicks fans. Not everyone. Again, I'm not attacking the entire fan base, but it's just like, you Kevin Durant fanboy. And I'm just like, the dude liked my tweet. Like, why can't I be happy about that? Like, if you had Julius Randle liking your, if you had Frank Nilakina or Kevin Knox liking your own tweet, you'd be goddamn happy, let alone one of the best players in the world. Let a dude be happy about things that deserve to be happy about. Exactly. And you're just jealous he's not on the Knicks. <laughs> Absolutely. Salty as hell. Salt Bay's doing some great things. Open up a, a run a, a restaurant in London now. I think we're going to get Blue Wire to contact him and, and somehow sponsor <laughs> the Blue Wire pod because uh, I think we might have plenty of, of saltiness uh, around uh, other opposing fan bases for the rest of the league. So maybe we can get Salt Bay on the Blue Wire network. Yeah, I mean, it's only going up from here, Jack. But <laughs> Anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Look, it's uh, a weird time to do a podcast. The sun isn't even up in Melbourne right now. I think it might have just come up. But if my voice sounds a little bit raspy, I do apologize to all the Brooklyn Buzz listeners. I mean, he's a morning person. He is up and he is good to go. He's smiling this early. Credit to Jack right now. Obviously, you guys know we're recording on opposite ends of the world. So we got to keep uh, switch it up once in a while. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Catch us on all stream platforms.